I never get to be in the cold open because I'm not funny. Bonnie and I never get. Yeah. I think even Bonnie gets to do it more than I do. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenacast. I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. And this is Rajiv. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we're talking compassion. How do you get it? What is it? How do you live it? All the things with compassion. And for our segment, we are going to be bringing back one that I don't think we've done as a five-person cast yet, but it's a segment that is very fun, and it's called Sound Charades, and uh, we're very much looking forward to that. So Alan has kind of put together our, our framework for this conversation, so I want, to, I want to turn it over to him, and he's going to guide us through how to be more compassionate individuals, how to, how to live Jesus in our heart. I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the topic that, that interests me is uh, unlocking our spirituality with compassion, looking at the role that it plays in um, our spiritual lives and our meaning making in the world. And I've, I've personally gone through a pretty big shift in the past couple of years, and I've seen that play an oversized role in many different areas of my life. And so um, I just have a, a couple basic questions. I, I we don't necessarily need to get to the hard stuff right away. I think it was Richard Rohr in the Universal Christ that uh, said he's met monks from the the East. Who the first question is, how do you practice, or what is your practice? That's the very first question they ask you. Uh, whereas monks in the West will ask things like, how was your trip? How was your week? Are you hungry? Do you need something? And uh, I suppose we can start off by asking you all. What is your practice? How do you like build your compassion? But that gets too serious too quick, right? My my question is, can we wake, awaken compassion? Is it something that we can wake up inside of us in your lived experience, your professional experience? What would you say to that? How, what do you mean by compassion? It's a great question. Caring action and caring intention for other folks or other life. So according to it's sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Yeah. One core component of compassion for me uh, to answer like directly is this experience of solidarity. And I think that's a step that a lot of us miss. And so we move quickly to charity or, you know, just giving people from our, our place of power rather than receiving the world in a way that causes us to have more in common with other people, like thinking about our own suffering, thinking about our own lack and our own needs helps us connect with other people who have similar situations. And so uh, that whole like sympathy piece or empathy uh, is one that seems like it's foundational for compassion in my mind. My daughters are, you know, first grade and they have, these habits that they're taught every day. Like it's just, it's on the wall. I don't know all of them, but one of them is uh, seek to understand before understanding. 
I wish someone would have taught me that in first grade. Like this is something they're hearing on a regular basis. And I think that at the heart for me of compassion is is understanding. But I also think that there's a spectrum of understanding, right? I think that sometimes we stop at, oh, I heard what you said and I've immediately related it to something in my life. So now I understand the whole and instead – and then when I act on that understanding, I act – in how I've always acted. Like I, then I revert to my understanding of my way of the view. And I don't extend that understanding into how then can I change how I normally react to a way that's more appropriate to what I now understand about your context. And that understanding is not owning. Understanding is not being a part. Understanding is simply, I have a glimpse. I don't fully get it. I'm on this side of the spectrum of understanding the, the just, you know, so now I'm, now my posture has changed into learning. And I think that's the hard part is that, that, that road to compassion and just being able to sit and not do anything is a harder one. I think compassion is, it's like a gateway. I think empathy is the destination because compassion tends to still be centered around self, like what one perceives in another, which is important. You have to notice there's some suffering over there. That person's really hurting or that the planet's really hurting or, you know, fill in the blank. And then that initial thing that relates to you then will hopefully lure us into a deeper relationship, which then leads to empathy because then we feel with, we understand deeply, but we got to start somewhere. I think cultural coaching around compassion as a start is really important and we tend to in some circles, see and teach compassion as a flaw or a weakness. There's there's so much in what you both are talking about that uh, I feel like it could even be episodes on their own. Rajiv, you said uh, compassion, you know, you, you got to start somewhere. And I would say you always start somewhere. We're too quick to remove ourself. I'm too quick to remove myself from the equation of my actions of my inter interaction with other people in the world and sitting a little bit longer with myself, realizing like, Hey, everything I'm doing today does have an impact on me. Everything I take in and everything I give out is going to impact my brain, my body. And so connecting with that is like the, and, and passion, right? Like that, that stuff inside of us, like that energy that we find inside of our gut or something, that's transformative for us in one direction or another. And so paying attention to that over the long term, paying attention to yourself and be like, how is this shaping me? Some people would say that's narcissistic or like navel gazing when really, in fact, it's the opposite. It's just recognizing we always have our own experience. Um, and so, yeah, it's absolutely a gateway to so much good justice work. And uh, Jeff, you, you talked about that. That actually comes from St. Francis. Right, it's more blessed to give than to receive, to understand than to be understood, and that kind of wisdom um, is beautiful. I never heard that in church. Yeah, that's not something that we were necessarily. We taught. were taught you need to get people to understand the truth. Like that's your whole. <laughs> and I think you, yeah, I think it depends on what you use your understanding for. If it is for controlling other people, like you know, oh, I understand everything about you, so. You know, I, I, I can, like you said, do, I can make decisions or think like I understand you and shut myself off, close myself off to, to, uh, understand further understanding, more learning, more, 
sympathy because that that path is so hard. It is so difficult to stay on the edge of someone else's experience. You ever listen to someone and you're like, all right, like I'm so struggling to be with them right now. I got about 15 seconds and then my brain is somewhere else completely. I think it works that way with compassion. We're there for 15 seconds and they're like, all right, <laughs> it's a little bit too much. I'm just going to assume I know everything about this person and I'm going to interact accordingly. Having that kind of openness is is a lifelong training for for certain folks. And I don't think maybe it's helpful to tell a little bit more of of you know the, my story of interacting with this this topic is that it transformed my christianity to actually center compassion to to decenter making other people understand or preaching the good news or articulating what god is and to actually recenter compassion for other people and think maybe my christianity and my spirituality is all about waking me up to compassion. Maybe that's the sum total of it that makes me a, a more loving human being for other people. And if that's the rubric that I would use, I, I look back and I'm like, man, we're failing horribly. We're failing horribly as churches, as even Christians uh, in, in centering compassion in our message. We're not more compassionate people half the time. I know that's not true across the board. I know some people are very compassionate in their spirituality, but our structures don't build that into us. and Our practices don't necessarily build that into us. And uh, I, I have a hard time with this idea. Well, I feel like if we're going to uh, invite others to find compassion, like if the idea is that we become more compassionate to the environment, to people, we first have to find compassion for ourselves. I think that we don't spend enough time with ourselves and noticing our patterns and our behaviors and, and digging deep to ask why we behave the way that we do. There are people in your life that you hear them being critical of you or, or critical of others. And your first thought is, wow, they're so judgmental. And what I begin to do is, is think, if they are that critical of me or others, how much more critical of themselves are they? Like, what is the internal talk that's happening um, that would lead them to have have this this sort of outward vomiting, <laughs> verbal vomiting? Um, we don't take a good enough account of ourselves. We're we're just like microcosms bumping into each other, unaware of how we're colliding most of the time. And so I think of your invitation, Alan, for us to slow down and to, to begin to wonder about compassion invites us to not just notice how we are compassionate towards others, but how are we even compassionate towards ourselves? Because I imagine that if I have no compassion for myself, if I expect myself to be at a specific standard, or I'm supposed to live this certain way, I would expect that all other people behave that same way. That's without compassion. Compassion teaches me, you know, we are all sort of navigating the world um, the best we can. And it gives me the space to to notice my own failures or the places where I need growth and th that space in others. And it also invites me into into that sense of I don't have to understand you. This doesn't have to be my experience to believe you. And then leads to a place of action. Well, even though this is not my experience, even though I have no relationship to this, I trust you. And what can I do to to walk alongside of you to uh, to alleviate some of that pain or that whatever that structure? So, 
as I'm listening to all of you talk, I'm I'm having a hard time accessing this conversation. And I'm I'm trying to figure out why that is. And I think it's because it sounds like, and I might be wrong, like we're using compassion, the term compassion as if it's a behavior, as if it's a um a way of relating to one another. And I mean, I think compassion is like a kind of withness, something that just is. It just is. Maybe uh, thinking about awakening to compassion really does make sense because it's something that just is. The truth is we are in a shared experience all the time. We suffer. We struggle. We love. We cry. We grieve. That is like a shared experience all the time. Because of that, you know, it just it just is. And maybe we're closed off to it. And I'm sorry to like having a hard time finding words to articulate what I'm thinking. But I was reminded uh, by reading Marcus Board's book, uh, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. I read it for a book study in my at my church recently. And I was re- reminded of the way the he- Hebrew word compassion is also the word for womb. And I think that makes so much sense. Like if compassion is like, I think Marcus Board uses the term womish. It just is. You know, those of us who have had wombs that have been used to make humans, you're not, you're, you're just, you're walking around doing what you do. And there's, there just is something happening inside of you that's creating this life. Um, and you're nurturing this life as just part of walking around and going through your everyday experience. So I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there as perhaps a metaphor. And it's, and it's, I imagine it's painful and, and there's lots of discomfort. Yeah. There's, it, there's, you know, it's happening. There's an awareness to it that the fact that it's happening, but there's also a, not a lot, not a lot that you're consciously doing about it. So uh, that, uh, there are uh, several strands of Buddhism that would say uh, what you're talking about, Bonnie, so beautiful. It's true. There's a, a seed inside of us that gets watered. It's already there regardless of what you do. There is this place of a compassionate space inside of human beings, and we either water it and grow it or pay attention to it, but it is that withness with everything else that we're either paying attention to or not. And so I think a lot of what we do is like narcotize ourselves. We're like, oh man, this is so hard. It's so hard to be a human being. You know, it's hard to be in a family with people that are different than me. And so I do things to like shut off my feeling, my my ability to to be with people and to even be with myself. Casey, you talked about, you know, starting with yourself, starting with compassion toward yourself. And I think both Christianity and Buddhism, especially Tibetan Buddhism, would teach that. You know, in Christianity we hear, love other people as you love yourself. And, you know, if you can't start with yourself, you're going to love other people the way you do love yourself. And uh, in at least Tibetan Buddhism, they talk about, um, you know, that that there's this practice called Tonglen, which I'm which has helped me because this is all kind of theoretical until you start bringing it more into an embodied space. And what they suggest during meditation each day is to just begin with breathing pay attention to your breathing. You're trying to access a non-judgmental space towards yourself. Honestly, if you're a listener and you're thinking about 
um, your spirituality and you, you want to do probably the best thing you could ever do. And if you do no more than this, maybe it would be enough is to be non judgmental toward yourself, but to actually see yourself as you are compassionately, openly, clearly. And that, that begins a journey of seeing other people that way. And what you do in Tonglin, it's this process of giving and receiving. And we talked about in the um, process theology, the all of life is this exchange, right? I think it was Casey who said, you know, maybe it's not robbery, maybe it's exchange. And it's a really beautiful thought. But you you, uh, you pay attention to your breathing. You just have a, a, an image in your mind of every time you breathe in, you're breathing in negativity. You're breathing in the stuff you would normally push away. Pain, suffering, shame, all that kind of stuff. And you like basically are depositing it in your body. And when you breathe out, you breathe out uh, wholeness or empathy or withness, and you're giving it out toward the world or toward other people. And then as you're kind of working with that, like textured imagery, you start with yourself. You look at your own pain and suffering and you breathe it in and you give yourself the things that, you know, instead of fracturedness, wholeness, um, and compassion, instead of anxiety, calm and presence. And then like actually breathing that way and doing that often enough, it starts to change how you look at the whole world. And to me, it changed how I look at Christianity. I had to ask if this little, if this, not to say little, if this breathing practice did more for me spiritually than a lot of what my, you know, evangelical rooted Christianity did. What does that mean about my, my Christianity? Like, what is it making me a better person or is it making me a less compassionate person? Well, you know, I think Bonnie's, Bonnie's comments are really relevant in another way uh, around just noticing. I think one of the things, Alan, is we spend the first part of our lives, you know, a big chunk of it, thinking we have something. And most of what we think we have was stuff that was given to us, forced upon us, you know, inculcated. And and then we begin to to notice Ah, uh, this isn't working for me. And so those practices that you're talking about, I think, are critical for any person desiring to be to deepen their spirituality is to find what's your stuff. You know, what is Alan's Christianity? What is Casey's Christianity? What is Bonnie's and Jeff's Christianity? So I think Alan, the the practice of noticing, paying attention. Uh, partially is it, it leads to partially it leads to discovery and partially it it leads to revelation of what already is. But without doing that, all we're doing is is dealing with what is being thrown at us. You know, we're we're purely reactionary if we don't give ourselves the chance to find out what's within. And it, and it's okay to be reactionary, right? like taking Bonnie and Casey's metaphors of starting with yourself and it just is just recognize your reactionary, <laughs> you know, like al- allow it, but actually watch yourself be reactionary. And in that sense, you start to like notice things, you notice the ways that you're resistant to love or uh, the, the demands of, of love. And um, that that's a really beautiful thing for any of us to ask. Well, and I, I maybe, highlight a difference between being reactionary, which I think comes as a result of not having much within, and then being responsive, 
which is being attentive to the world around you, and then the substance within meets that uh, out of mutuality. So uh, being reactionary is part of a developmental process, but I don't think we want to stay reactionary. We want to be responsive. Beautiful. Rajiv loves his R words. <laughs> Tell you, man, all, all, the, the world's the world's solution lays in the R. <laughs> I, I think I think that as kind of that all this is highlighting like the the folly in you know judging compassion on like Bonnie was saying earlier outward expressions of that compassion because I think that that what that does is that especially in my experience in certain settings is that perpetuates codependency that can be very easily misconstrued as, oh, that person's so compassionate, so nice, but not acknowledging the internal struggle of my my whole worth is coming from this. And even even the the quick reaction or the I think the tendency for all of us when we're in this place of compassion is, you know, having compassion for ourselves. I think it's interesting to me that it always leads to questions like, am I a good person? And in how conflicting that is, whereas why why do we jump to that question instead of I am a good person? Like, and I think that the, it's really interesting how fuzzy that line can be between like self actualization and self, you know, criticism or whatever. Yeah, they say don't let the medicine be the poison all the time in Buddhist Buddhist writings because you can easily slip into a place of I'm trying to awaken myself for myself and it becomes a narcissistic loop instead of awakening all people and all things to our witness. There's a Christian breath practice like that too. Buddhism and lots of traditions can work really nicely together, um, which is the generosity of Buddhism. But there's a Christian practice too, and maybe you know about this, and I love to to hear what you think about it. Um, it's an orthodox orthodox practice where you have prayer beads often, and you move from one prayer bead to the next with your breath in and out, and you breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, and you breathe out as if it's like there's like a, a circle that you make with your body in this practice and in this posture, and you breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner, or have compassion on me, a sinner. And um, for those of us coming from evangelical and fundamentalist backgrounds who have been taught that we are sinners from the time we come into the world, and it feels, you know, there's a lot of triggering language in that practice, but there's, that's not the intention behind the practice. The intention behind the practice is to um, awaken us to our need for compassion and for our shared experience of not always getting things right. And so that need for self-compassion, we don't always get things right. And we're reaching out to the whole universe for that compassion. And there, a lot of people who do practice that breath practice in Christianity find it to be incredibly transformative. So I don't know. Have you heard of that? Have you tried it? I mean, I've, I've heard of it, but I've never done it myself. I don't have prayer beads to go through the the practice with, but the connecting the in and the out, that's a really beautiful metaphor. And, uh, and I also like to connect with people in my, in the ways that I'm very resistant and stuck and, uh, not compassionate 
I mean, I, I went to a, a grocery store a couple days ago and there were these two cars who parked next to each other too close. And one person was saying they had to park that way because of a car next to them. And the other person was saying, you, you didn't let me get inside of my driver doors. So there's these two driver doors about like a couple inches apart from each other. And there's these guys arguing in the parking lot. One person's like, I'm going to go get my friends. Like we're going to duke it out. And as I was walking in, I was like, you know, thinking to myself, this is, uh, you know, over a parking spot. How stupid can you be to like have this huge fight where the cops are going to get called all because of a parking spot? And that's where my brain usually goes. But I remembered like, okay, everything that I experience in the day is awakening me with my solidarity with the world. And so I thought, <laughs> you know, I kind of laughed myself. I was like, how many times do I do get upset about the dumbest stuff? And then I look back, I'm like, man, why was I so upset about that? And so even taking in negative material, it's this, it's supposed to, to bring us in solidarity. So I love that picture of breathing in the, in that prayer practice of being like, yeah, I am in solidarity with all the other people who are struggling to get things right and struggling to be com- uh, a compassionate person. I wonder what it would do to Western Christianity to truly center witness and compassion above everything else inside of the Christian tradition. So we have, there's this, uh, uh, one of my favorite apocalyptic parables of Jesus uh, in Matthew 25 and also in Matthew 7, he talks about uh, you know, in the end of times, there's this revealing moment and not saying that this is actually a prophecy of what will happen. It's a story. It's apocalyptic. It's supposed to reveal something true, but there's these sheep and these goats. And there are people who are going to say, you know, I called you Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say, I had, I, I didn't know you. I had nothing to do with you. And there are going to be people who didn't call Jesus Lord, Lord. They're actually surprised by the fact that they're living in connection with, with this compassion. And, uh, they'll say, when did I see you? Like, when did I see you? And when did I show, you know, mercy on you? And and he says, anytime you fed someone, you visited someone in prison, you were with the sick, truly you were with me. And I wonder if most of what we do in Christian spirituality is that, (laughs) that first half has nothing to do with Jesus anyway, you know, this, like we're, we're, we're so egocentric sometimes in our um our way of doing spirituality. So I I kind of my questions posed to you. It's truly messed me up. I think I look at my Christian experience now as this is all awakening my compassion and, and like changing my perspective on the world. That's my spirituality. What what can you see if if that became the central focus of what it means to be a Christian is just awakening your compassion toward the world? How would that change uh your experience? of Christian community and Christian theology. I think if we centered compassion to answer your question, Alan, we would Christianity would look a lot more like a Mother Teresa version of Christianity or a Jesus version of Christianity, you know, like which he's not a Christian, he never was a Christian, but he's he's the uh, the teacher. And and I think it's it's like it's one of the one of the key things that we bring speaking as a Christian, to the mosaic of religious traditions. Like, it ha- there, there is no Christianity without be- that being centered, in my, in my opinion. I mean, if, if I meet somebody who's Muslim or Jewish, or if they reflect back to me, wow, I, I saw compassion and love in you, then I would feel like, okay, I can claim this Christian identity then in relationship to you. Just the fact that we're asking that question means we're so off track. 
Like, why would we ask that question? <laughs> that should just be, that's just the core center of who, of what Christianity means. It's a radical rereading of Jesus to some extent from what I was taught to center compassion that God is, God is, God is not jealous. God is not judgmental. God is this expression of, of openness and presence and withness that is, uh, that is shown by the Christian message, right? In a lot of different ways, but that's not the only Christian message. I mean, go to any church, <laughs> any church on a Sunday. And do you walk out a, a, a person who is more compassionate toward yourself and other people? Sometimes no. You know, sometimes yes, but sometimes it looks very different. Because we've traded compassion for power. Yes, that that's probably where we've it's claimed at. God is the victor, Christ is the the ruler. That's what's happened. There's this difference between East and West in Christ Christ's victory. This is really interesting. So Christ in the West is depicted as, you know, his resurrection. It's always him alone. Sometimes with a flag, you know, just very this victor, whereas Christ in the East and the icons is gathering everyone else up, holding all their hands and pulling them up, you know, with him. And it's this communal experience uh, of, of resurrection. And maybe it's just the individual, individual nature of our Christianity in America. It's all about the individual and it's not about this wider corporate experience that helps us get beyond our like religious egocentricity. When I talk about uh, salvation, a lot of times, you know, because I get that question a lot, <laughs> are you saved? Um, which is always interesting. But um, the way that I talk about salvation is wholeness, that there's something about wholeness that is important. And I want to connect that to compassion. Salvation for me is about wholeness, um, and wholeness would lead to the sense of compassion, right? Like the way in which you are in the world, like Bonnie's saying. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Uh, love, peace, joy, and a sound mind. And I think that all of those things come with first acknowledging um, that maybe we don't necessarily have those all the time. And how you get there is by confronting, right? By going to the darkness, acknowledging your own stuff. And maybe that's why having uh, talking partners is so important. And having people that you trust and love you know, Rajiv talking about friendship, um, because some of the people who are able to draw that out of you are the very people who are able to hold up a mirror to you and say, wake the hell up. Maybe that's what makes being in relationship and community so important. This makes me think of Parker J. Palmer. Everything you're saying, Casey, about wholeness and community, he writes about how we're all struggling to unite our personhood with our role or what the us on the inside and what is on the outside and to live honestly with ourselves and kind of uh, in that wholeness. And there are places where spiritual community actually hurts the individual, you know, vulnerability and all that kind of thing is crossing this boundary with, with folks and hurting folks who are on that journey. Whereas true spiritual community community is that non-judgmental space that does welcome your wholeness, that is not scared of the shadows, that is not scared of the the, the darkness because they, they know their own. Maybe that's why we're all asking this question because that's the true thing that we're, we're scared of is that our culture is so much based on guilt and shame or in, in our religious experience that it's so scary to come out from the, the, the cave or whatever and to turn back and look at ourselves. So if, you know, if, if you're, if you're someone who's listening or even talking to myself, if you can find places where there is that non-judgmental space, it's worth all the money in the world, all the time in the world to actually 
maintain that, to find that friends who are on that journey with you. Cause staring in the mirror is so hard. When's the last time you looked in the mirror for like 30 minutes? Like never, right? Like we don't want to look at ourselves. And so having friends like willing to hold your hand in that process is so worth it. Yeah. Zoom sort of forces the looking in the mirror experience. <laughs> it's like, uh, no. like, I spend lots of time don't taking that, selfies, Alan. You don't know me. <laughs> Well, what you were saying, Alan, I think one of the things that I have found surprisingly found comfort in at first it was it was angering is these thoughts have been around for a long time. You know, they they they've been around forever. And and these connections, these kinds of empathic, compassionate, really holistically uplifting connections to spirituality in the Christian realm have always been around. It's just they were new to me. They were hidden for many years, and then it was new to me, and then I was angry because it was like, wait a minute, this has been around all along, and now it's just more like, okay, let me let me access the history and the legacy of this this beauty and, and just enter that and, and try to allow the history and legacy to offer me some healing and not be so self-centered uh, around it. And it's been... I mean, that's, that's been a hard road. I, I, and I, I say that with a deep, deep sensitivity to, to wherever folks are on in their process. Because boy, I mean, I went through anger, like, like I've never been more angry in my life. Um, other than that process, I've never been more bitter. I've never been more hateful. It was difficult for me, but to finally get to where, oh, wait a second. I don't have to let that disappointment define me. And then sort of, you know, joining the the choir of angels, so to speak, the choir of the ancestors. It's It's been so comforting and healing and it's still a lot of healing to do. But, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's hidden for a reason because this stuff is so disarming and it's so de-empowering for a lot of institutions and the way they work. I was just thinking, uh, uh, Rajiv was talking about the ancestors, right? The, the choir of angels or the choir of ancestors. And what I love best about the seniors in my congregation is how they have sort of found compassion for themselves. Like, oh, I forget things. Or even how they find compassion for their spouses who are aging, you know? How they, they make a space for each other, you know? Like, we've decided that now we need to keep our keys here because otherwise we'll spend an hour looking for them or whatever. There's a sense of compassion and humility um, and and kindness uh, that comes with age because um, you don't take yourself so serious. Or you at least can laugh at these moments where you see these patterns that maybe you've seen for 40, 50 years. I want to get there sooner than later, you know? I want to get to a place where I'm more compassionate and I can laugh at myself, I can laugh at my partner because there's a sense in which that's where real love resides, right? I don't love you for for the things that for for the ways that you are 100 or whatever. I love you just for who you are. For the quirks, for the weird funky things you do. I love you for all of those things. I've heard it said by older folks that the the reason that happens is that everything that we're not falls away with age. The older we get, like the the false stuff starts to fall away, and then suddenly, like you are who you are, and that's the first step. I I think that's in youth as well. 
I, I think we lose it. I don't think it's something that you have to wait until you're old to get. I think it's something that you have when you're three and four. And then, and then our culture kind of pulls it out of us. You know, we talk about non-judgmental space and, and that, that can be a useful word, but maybe, maybe what we're really talking about is a space that's shame free and revelatory. You know, like it, it's got to be real. It can't just be that you're not going to call out what you need to call out. There has to be a true authenticity to it to even say the hard things. And people will have feelings about those hard things. But it that doesn't have to go along with shame, I don't think, or, you know, harming others. Right. And there's got to be an equality in that revealing. Right. Yeah. You can't have everyone else revealing everything. And I'm talking, I'm saying this to myself because y'all know me. <laughs> There's a lack of equality in the revealing that happens <laughs> in this group right here that we're talking. But I think that that's, that's an important thing to strive for is that we can't, uh, benefit from that type of environment and not participate and contribute to it at the same time. Uh, otherwise your, your compassion is fractured. I like to think of it in terms of taking armor off. Like when you're a kid, you don't need armor necessarily because you're lo- like everybody loves you. They like laugh at you. They're looking at you. They're taking care of you for the most part. For those of us who are lucky enough to have families and, and nurturers that are supportive. And then eventually you realize like that's not how the world's always going to work. And so you're putting all these layers of armor on. You're hiding who you really are. And then to find a space where, you know, when you're the only person taking armor off, it can feel so threatening. So absolutely threatening to be in the world. But what I've noticed is the more I'm able to do that, the more other people are able to do that. The more the, the whole is lifted up with every like piece of armor that's being taken off. The whole of, of, of the world is, is being made whole, more whole and more, more healed. And to create an atmosphere where I can take my armor off and you're not going to stab me <laughs> like that. That's work. That's art. That's uh, it takes everyone being in it. And I keep bringing up Buddhism because I think it, it's really sh- – I've read Pema Chodron lately and a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh um, in the past five years. And and they talk about um, taking refuge in the community, the community of people who are all agreeing, we're going to take our armor off. And you can come confront me shamelessly in an open-handed way because I can trust that you're giving yourself compassion and I'm giving myself compassion. Like that, that kind of spiritual community is um, – it's truly transformational. But scary if you're the only one doing it. I I was uh, wondering about um, straightness and masculinity. Straight cisgendered men have a harder time coming to some of this because it it requires you to admit that you have vulnerability under the armor. Whereas I feel like those who live in the feminine or even many queer folks, um, we find ourselves a little more compassionate, maybe. And I just wonder how some of that plays into this conversation, you know, because there are going to be some, I imagine, some cisgendered (laughs) straight men listening to this episode. And where do they find the support they need? Or how? what invitation would you give them to uh, let their armor down? Or how do we invite you as queer people or as those who live in the feminine uh, invite you to do that? You're, you're so uh, spot on, Casey, about that. And part of it is our own formations. 
But I would say an equal part of it is the resistance of the people around us when we do try. Because it it upends everything. I'm lucky enough to have people that are close to me that welcome it. They're like, yes, you need to be doing this work. Things do need to be upended. We're with you. I'm with you. I feel really lucky, but I also know uh, I'm in conversation with a number of men who they aren't given the permission by their significant others, by their siblings, close friends. They're afraid. And when they've tried, they've been mocked, ridiculed. So it's a really difficult thing for straight cisgender men to, to go through this because we can't do anything in isolation. And depending on where you are when you realize, I do want to do something different. I would, I do want to live into my, my gender identity a little differently, uh, my masculinity a little differently. Uh, it could risk all of your relationships. And, and also accepting some of the, the responsibility when, when cisgendered, straight, especially white men start to take the armor off. It's not a smooth process. It's clunky. There's pushback. There's falling off the wagon. There's, you know, putting the armor back on real quick. And if you have people who are around you who are trying to encourage you in that, like that, that space is dangerous for them too, because, you know, suddenly I'm reclaiming my armor and now I'm using it against you. And like, there's, I mean, I was in CPE, clinical pastoral education, and I I experienced that to a large degree. Like that process of becoming vulnerable and welcoming input from other people and and providing accountability, it's it's messy and scary, and there's lots of emotions. And normally, seeing that process is it's just scary. I think the more power somebody has to watch them go through that, like you know, you 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 don't let go of all the fear that you've had around power before. So anyway, I don't know if that makes sense, but I can see why that would be hard. I wonder if like, and maybe even the image of taking the armor, armor off or putting the armor on, um, like the armor is an, is, is an illusion, you know? And, and that's why I think I really, really resonated when I read the Marcus Borg book once again about how compassion is is womb-ish. It's a space or it's not even a space. It's just a, a moving in the world of nurturing, caring, life-giving. And armor just, it doesn't have anything to do with it. And so I think I think our like all of our language, all of our like cultural metaphors, may, our myths even are the stories that we embrace and get behind. I think we're like, there's this huge dearth of ways to access what we're trying to say. Like, what is compassion? Is it a seed that you awaken and water? Is it, you know, what, what is it? Sorry, you're listening to you hear you say that. There's so many like like symbolisms are going through my brain. You know how in evangelicalism we were told you have two wolves in you and they're fighting and the one you feed. Why didn't they say you have two sheep in you or you know you have a goat and a sheep exactly. and and they're both loved by God and they're both held and you know they're they're both very vulnerable and that's why they act the way that they do. <laughs> you know, like the, well, the you're right about the metaphors. Look at all the superhero stories. Sorry, Jeff. I mean, like all of the stories that are out there and the way that you know good and evil. And how one has to vanquish the other um, in order for the story to feel satisfying. 
True. There's, yeah. I, I mean, I agree with all this. Like all this kind of, I'm, I'm, there's some things coming together in my head. Number one, anyone else getting like weird flashbacks to like the armor of God metaphor? Because everyone says armor <laughs> and I'm like, I don't like this. Let's stop. <laughs> um, but a, as kind of Casey bringing us kind of to that place of, uh, you know, cis straight male, which I can speak to some authority about uh, and, and kind of that whole mode of being in the world and then kind of coming back full circle to that talking about armor and then talking about like the womb. What if it was like the placenta of God or something like that instead of the armor of God? But anyway, yeah, that's uh, awesome. I think the, the key, the, the, the many breasted one, right? Right. We but always skip over that. I think the key difference for me, and this is my total experience is that as a cis white male, that idea of vulnerability was always uncomfortable to me, but it was, it, but for me, it, it was, it wasn't because of the, I was always uncomfortable with the, the, the mantle of masculinity that was placed on me culturally and within the church. And it wasn't that I was raised to be that, but it was that I had no nurturing, like the nurturing was lack. And I think that probably why it's so similar with other people is that there's this sometimes underlying assumption that this type of person doesn't need as much nurturing as this type of person. And that, that key, like, you know, like that cradle, that thing that holds that thing together, the idea of nurturing. And I can, I can say honestly, from my own experience, like a lack of nurturing made me skeptical, made me to be self-reliant, made me to be reserved so that, you know, not to go back to the other metaphor, but no one could see me through the cloud of my placenta. You know, no, one. I, it was, it was foggy. It was hazed because I wanted it that way. And to come out of that was, uh, is still to this day, a certain amount of like, no, I, I, I don't, I don't need that because it's an unknown. I was, it was, it's a scary thing to, to experience nurturing because it was never normal. It was never my mode in being. And I think like Bonnie was reminding us earlier, it was never real. And anyone, and anyone who has eyes to see can see clearly through all of that. I mean, like every man with a big truck ever, right? We, we see right through you. Like, um, especially when they have uh, the, you know, metal balls hanging from them. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really helpful. It's eternally cold for you, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really helpful to, I heard recently from a therapist not to pathologize our coping mechanisms. Don't just look at them as something awful, you know, and terrible. And I failed and this is terrible. That, that Jeff, in, in your case, and I think everyone can relate to this, regardless of who you are, you survived. You did what you had to do to survive. And instead of perpetuating that lack of nurturing, what if you're part of building a world and accept, like, even just meditating on the fact that, like, man, I'm, I, I have enough. You know, like even in this moment, like my breath is enough. The world, there's enough oxygen for me to bring in. I know that's such a small thing, but maybe that's all you have. And so you start there. Like instead of perpetuating that wound of non-nurturing, maybe the goal of maturity and the goal of spirituality is the total opposite, is to let go of that reaction, to let go of the the animosity and the self-reliance that comes from that. And you know, I'm starting to think of like the hero. There, there are heroic figures that we never talk about who are compassionate 
giants, spiritual like giants. And, and I know that, that sounds totally triggering for people who come from evangelicalism. Like, I don't, don't want to say that, but like, because there is, there's a whole world of meaning out there that I think Christianity is barely tapping into to some, to some extent. And other religions have had a wonderful long storied history of making the central thing, the central thing. And I know we bring our own piece to the mosaic, but it just sounds to me like double down, doubling down on the wound is the wrong way to go. Yep. I, I agree with you, Alan. I, I think you're absolutely right. And part, part of where this starts and uh, Casey, thank you for bringing up gender because it, it is a really important factor in this conversation, but getting rid of the binary you know, it is just a place to start. Hashtag smash the binary. Just let it go. Just stop. Every binary. Every binary. Exactly. And because if if we can't, we're, we're just locked into what's always been. I've heard the binary mind is good for certain questions. Like, you know, if you're building a, a, a some kind of machine, it helps you build it and look at it from an engineering perspective. And really bad for the big questions. About God or yes. death or love or personhood. We're, or we're talking about humanity. Or sexuality. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like all the big, the big, <laughs> right. most meaningful stuff moving out of that binary thinking and like into that kind of wholeness perspective. It's, it might sound like, you know, woo language for some Christians, but really that's the path that we're on. It was useful. Like it's okay to say that things were useful um, for a period of time to help us be able to get to the next thing. It's so, an important ab- stage absolutely. in our development, right? Like binary thinking is important when you're six, when you're 10, like that's fine. But when you're ready to move out of it, then you're ready to move out of it. And I think that all of our, all of our evolutions, all of our development, whether it's spiritual, physical, mental, they have those stages where we need to see binaries as a stepping stone or a, a, a something to help us provide a foundation to move to more complex ways of maneuvering and in American developmental theory, though, I think a popular developmental theory, adulthood is not compassion. It's like, you're still a part of your tribe. You're a good Patriot. You're someone who goes to work. Like you have all these like layers of meaning that require you to let go of compassion, to be a good, whatever, you know, a Patriot will support America over and against every other uh, community. And maybe Recognize like there is a further developmental piece, that piece of compassion of growing to a place of, of maturity where you love yourself in the ways that you don't fit the mold and you love other people. It seems like there's just more, there's more to be explored. There's like a whole terrain out there and we're, you know, astronauts headed out into the wild wilderness to figure out like what the spiritual landscape looks like. I mean, it's exciting to me. I, I don't know how things will look different differently when when you take that kind of position on your spirituality. And as we head into that wilderness, are there any final thoughts in terms of this conversation before we move into our, our segment and uh, contemplate our compassion? Well, I have a poem, of course, because I always have poems. Um, this relates to that breath practice that you were talking about, Alan, about, you know, breathing in and using your own body to cleanse harm. And um, there's a, a poem by Judith Hill called Wage Peace. 
And I'll just read a couple lines and then maybe we can put it in the show notes too for other folks to read it. She wrote this uh, soon after 9-11. Wage peace with your breath. Breathe in firemen and rubble. Breathe out whole buildings and flocks of red-winged blackbirds. Breathe in terrorists and breathe out sleeping children and freshly mown fields. Breathe in confusion and breathe out maple trees. Breathe in the fallen and breathe out lifelong friendships intact. And it goes on. It's, it's, it's a beautiful poem about that practice of breathing in the suffering and then breathing out a compassionate response. So I thought I'd share it in case listeners are into that sort of thing. You're only something till you're not. That's the invitation. Notice in yourself where you are uncompassionate to yourself, where you are self-critical. Notice how you become critical of the world around you. How you are quick to anger or whatever. And know, to, and know that you can change. You are only something until you're not. And so if you seek to be more compassionate, it starts with noticing in yourself the places that you are uncompassionate, the way that you treat yourself, the way you treat your neighbor, and change it. You have the capacity to change. Building on that, I would say two things, and this comes straight from Pema Chodron, Start Where You Are. Uh, there's these compassion cards that teach Tonglen, Lojong, which is this Buddhist wisdom. The first is, if you notice, like Casey is talking about, if for one moment in a day, you notice the ways that you've gotten stuck, or you've made mistakes, or you didn't get it right, you're already winning. You're already like, because that moment of clarity, you can always return to that. It's always going to be there. And even recognizing the ways that you got it wrong is, is a step in the right direction. And secondly, one thing that's been helpful for me is to realize all of it is material. All of it is material for you to wake up, whether it's good or bad, whether it's joy or sorrow, pain or pleasure, like everything that comes at us does have the capability of, of watering that part of us and waking us up. And so trying to remember that to lean into the things that are uncomfortable sometimes and to recognize that it's still, still material for me. Rajiv, any final thoughts? Just keep feeling. Just keep feeling. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Well, let us know what you think. You can add your voice to this particular conversation by commenting on the show notes at irenicast.com slash 177. That's irenicast.com slash 177. Also in the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways to like, follow, and contact the show. That's irenicast.com slash 177. And if you'd like to discuss this particular issue with us this coming Monday, October 26th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we will continue the conversation. Uh, if you can't make it, please feel free to email us your thoughts at podcast at irenicast.com, and we will be sure to include them in our continuing the conversation next Monday. So on the other side of the music, we're going to be playing an oldie but a goodie called Sound Charades. Jeff, can we please have, have me saying that as our cold open for the week? The what? 
hey, all you cool cats and kittens out there. <laughs> Who knows? Because I never you know, get to I never get to be in the cold open because I'm not funny. Bonnie and I never get yeah. I think even Bonnie gets to do it more than I do. You never know. Like this could be I'm in the never episode. the cold open. We could have already reached the other side of the music and people are just catching us midstream in the midst of this conversation as we get ready to start our brand new not a brand new segment, an old segment called Sound Trades. So how this is gonna work, Casey, Bonnie, Rajiv, Alan, this is how it's gonna work is that we have a website, and if you want to check it out, you can look at it in the show notes. It is a word generator. And each of us has this word generator up in our browser as we speak right now. And what we're going to do when it's our turn is we're going to hit that button. It has various different categories of words, but we've picked moderate words. So words that are easy enough to understand, um, not hard, you know, but not too easy at the same time. So once we get our word, then we have to try to get the other people in the show to guess what that word is. But here's the catch. We are a podcast. We are an audio medium. So we cannot draw a picture because that will not translate to you, our listener. We cannot use words because we're trying to get a word across. So we have to use sound effects a la only from our mouths. Only, right. Only. From, well, I mean, from <laughs> your body, from no, your body, funnier if it's only from your mouth. I'm telling you. Okay. From your mouth. Alan, Alan wants everyone to know this is from your mouth. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so that's how it's going to work. We're going to use sound effects and we're going to try to communicate this word to the rest of the hosts. And, you know, by proxy, those of you that are listening, uh, there may be many of you who, as we're making these ridiculous sounds, you'll be screaming at your, your phone, your, whatever you listen to this on and you know, the answer. So this is, this is how this game works is everyone we're all on the same page. Everyone get where we're going right now? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I get No, it. no, I felt <laughs> the same way the first time we did this. Uh, but, you, you know, it, it's, it's a popular one. People tend to like it. So because Alan's very adamant about it coming from our mouths, he is going to go first. This is a non-judgmental space, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. And it's, it's you know, as we record this, we can see each other through our yeah. Zoom interface. So okay. we are not going to be using hand gestures or anything like that. <laughs> Um, so with a whole lot of compassion and clear eyes, I'm going to click generate a word. And oh, okay, so I don't know how I'm going to do this one. Um, that means it's a good one. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, okay. Um. <laughs> uh, ring. Bike. Phone. No. Bell. Tricycle. Uh, boom. Bum, bum, bum. Chime. Like, Piano. Like bell ringers? What are those called? The mm. clock. Doorbell? Wang. Wang. <laughs> Wang. That's, leave, that's taking me down a whole different... Wang. 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 Guitar? Guitar? Instrument? Xylophone. It's an instrument? Can I, can I say things when people are close? No. No? Uh, How many seconds do you get for this? I feel like we should have a timer. How long do I have to be on the hot seat? (laughs) Guitar? String instrument? What'd you say? String instrument? Guitar? It's string! Okay, string. Oh Oh my gosh, it's string. That was so difficult. I feel I feel like a sense of accomplishment. I needed this this morning. I'm the one that guessed it. It's not your accomplishment. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's my accomplishment. No, it's, it's my brilliance. Hey, what happened? You keep you're going to keep score now, right? That be, that makes me yep. number one. Okay, I just want. All right, Jeff. Jeff has. I'll, I will take score now that you say that. Right. Okay. I think Jeff should go next. Oh, he should. Thanks, Casey. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I agree. Here we go. I'm going to generate my word. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> you just have Rain. to turn your mic, your like camera off. <laughs> Why? <laughs> this is a big Do step for again. me not turning off this camera. Okay, uh, I'm trying not to make hand gestures so you can't see it. So, um, uh, okay, let's let's try this. Uh, Dog. Frisbee. Running. Catch. Dog running. Dog playing. Throwing. Frisbee dog. Uh, game of catch. Fetch. Fetch. That's the word. Yes. Fetch. Oh, good. I'm so fetch. <laughs> good. Is that a word? Can you be fetch? Is you can now. Yeah. You you are. You just you just started it. All right. Ranger, something worth chasing after and bringing fetch. home. Okay, right. ready? All right, Casey, are you going? I'm going. Okay. Ding, ding. Circus. No. Nope. Carnival. No. Ring, ring. Church. <laughs> Tricycle. <laughs> no. Ice cream truck. Ringtones. <laughs> Fun. Crazy. <laughs> Skating. Ring, ring. Telephone. Acrobat. Waiter. Pee-wee, Herman. Big adventure. <laughs> Cartoon. I don't know. Graduate. I'm really bad at this game. Swing, <laughs> swing. Ring, ring, ding, ding. Yeah, um, uh, bellhop. No, um, it's the bell. It's the the song after shoo, that I'm trying to make the connection uh, with. Shoo, shoo, shoo. I, uh, Running. This is oh, so stupid. Uh, skiing. No. Oh, uh, um, Shriners. <laughs> <laughs> Their little cars. Okay, can I just tell you? I'm really. I hate this. Casey, your face. I hate. I told you. I told you right. I just have to Do you have a question? Are all those three sounds like connected to each other? Yeah, it's 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 like a progression. No, it's just like helping you think of. Okay. Um. Biking. That's what it was. Hiking. Biking. Like a biking. bike. Biking. So my, I was my, thinking. Oh, first yeah. I my was first guess of, was tricycle. That makes sense. Yeah. Because, so I was, uh, I was on the right know, track. Like the, the Wicked Witch, she's on a bike. And then like the ring, ring, you know, like the ring of a bicycle. That's why I said, that's sh- why I said Pee Wee Herman, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Because that was like, that was what was going through my head yeah. when you were making this. So. And my, my, my first thought was tricycle. And when I said Shriners, there are little you, bikes. I know. And you did say tricycle <laughs> earlier. And I was like, oh, that's so close. I think how Alan and I should get a half point for that because we were kind of on the, oh the right track. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I just. Agree with that. I want to go next because I just want to get this over right. with. Bonnie oh, and I are not fun. We are. I want to be last. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, let me try. Here we go. Oh, hmm. This one's impossible. Just hit next. Bonnie with next. God. All things are possible. You this one's it. truly impossible. It's soundless. 
I'm going to hit another. The I word mean, is soundless? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you could have really? awkwardly just sat in <laughs> yeah. silence with us. I could have just sat in silence. We would have thought you were, you're, you were a million frozen. All right, here's silence. one more. Um, twang. 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 <laughs> the South. <laughs> yeah. Yard. String. Mitch McConnell. Close. Mouth guitar strings. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Guitar you got it. <laughs> guitar. Guitar, oh, guitar. 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 Yeah, yeah. There you go. The first one was Snowball. Twang, twang. All right. Twang, because I was no, like. like, <laughs> like Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> you do it. How would you do guitar? Uh, no, that's good. No, I'm that's serious. I want to know. I don't know. Just any guitar like, sound. Tuning. Right? Like, da, 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 yeah. Yeah. Da, something like that. <laughs> Like it doesn't matter. Oh, thank you, Casey. Because you were successful. So, all right, Casey has one point. You told me to keep track, <laughs> so I'm uh, doing so. All right, Rajiv, you're up. And I so do not want to do this. All right, <laughs> you'll be good at this there game. We go. Nope, can't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> this one is too to. easy, but it'd be fun. Do it. Okay, let's do it. Well, it's not that fun. <laughs> all right, I'll do it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Tweet, tweet. Bird. No, bird? Yeah. Oh, come oh, on. Yes, two points for Casey. No, 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 no. No. Do it. I think one. I won. I'll do it. I was, was going to say Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. None of these. How come Alan gets to decide that there's? I should get points for that? I said it. We both said it at the same time. You said it slightly faster than me. That's Then that's the point. Slightly that's is right. still faster. I get the, that's right. I get the point. You get Casey gets half a point. No, I get a whole point. Oh wow. <laughs> Alan can't take score anymore. That's right. That's we'll right. have to take that I'm over, the Casey. Only one who understands how the scoring works. <laughs> You're that kid. We yeah. play by my rules in my house. Right. Okay, this one's going to be. Uh, this will be interesting. We'll see. Ready? Yeah. <clears throat> Growling. Chainsaw. Bear. 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 Mad. Lion. Tiger. Indigestion. Brr. Chainsaw. Foot. Uh, a a bigfoot. Um, Motor. Wrestler. Ape. Um, monster. masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> Trump on the toilet. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's try this. Let's... Here, okay. So that's tweet, tweet, Casey. <laughs> oh, electricity. Uh, uh, motor, uh, dying motor. Oh, stung by a bee. Bee sting. Stung by a bee st- stinging a bear. <laughs> oh, what's what's the bug zapper? I don't think that's the bugs. sound that? insects bugs make Why? when they get zapped. Do they growl? Do it again. Where do, do you again. live? What bugs are around yeah, in your area? Word? Jeff's on to something. Jeff's on to something. Which one? Uh, right. Electric chair? Taser. Explosion? No hand gestures. Oh, Frankenstein. I said it first. No. I said it first. I guarantee you I said it first. No. Yes. You said, oh, and I said Frankenstein. No. We said Frankenstein at the same time. Tiger. Ty goes to the runner, and the runner is the producer Man, of the show, so points. I get That's it. so cool. All right, and Alan. I got two points also. <laughs> Alan. One and a half. Great. <laughs> I can do a tiebreaker. You're going to do a tiebreaker? 
I don't care that much. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Casey. You're the winner it in my book. All, you don't have to that? cheat to win, so it's okay. Thank it you. takes all the fun out of winning when someone's like, fine, you win. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Look, I'm I don't an oldest care child. Perhaps I, I haven't look I, yeah, I'm just brushed <laughs> it off. It's fine. I, look, I, I have enough <laughs> compassion for you myself can have to know that I don't need this win. <laughs> all right so let's make note of this now we know how to shut alan down when he gets a little (laughs) honestly everyone who's closest to me when they lean into what i'm doing it's the worst thing in the world like i want you to see what i'm seeing not like just agree with me i hate it so much Uh, we should have we should have a segment called pushing buttons where we try to piss off one of the (laughs) i don't know about that that's a great idea i don't know if my ego's ready for that right now that'd That'd be uh, some good practice though that'd be fun i know i could win that (laughs) richie (laughs) all right well (laughs) that's how you ruin a podcast look i know exactly what i would do for rajiv i know exactly what i would do i would pull up a pineapple pizza Uh. and eat it right in front of him (laughs) pineapple pizza pineapple pizza i can tolerate it's broccoli broccoli. you can't Nope, we're not going to do it again. I'm not going <laughs> to. It's just so arbitrary, Rajiv. It's so arbitrary that you're you're fine with pineapple, but it will. Th- oh, I have a story about broccoli real quick before we edit it. Just the, so you know. The Hawaiian brothers. I was know, they, I was on a trail and I was taught that like, you know, those little green plants with the yellow flowers um, that cut these like bushes that are like mustard. Apparently, they're related to broccoli. You can just eat the flowers. Before they're before they like uh, bloom, they look almost like little broccolis. I never noticed that. So I, you're well, gonna eat some and get diarrhea. I did eat some. I ate. Did you get uh, diarrhea? No, no. I I ate that. I ate wild plum, elderflower, uh, even like cattails. You can actually like cut them and open them up and eat the stock on the inside. Why would you the do that? Just bring so what? Why just bring trail mix? Like don't. exactly exactly the whole world is so magical there's so many things out there like you never see it's amazing (laughs) but so so before before this edible walk you took (laughs) what what did you yeah fuel yourself with yeah it's so great like you you know there's so much information that you just never see because you don't have the eyes trained to see it so now now I see like trees. Like I don't know. I see all kinds of stuff. There's this plant that smells like Cheerios when you break open the the leaves. But is that is that like I'm just very confused about the jump from like the world is magical. I want to eat it. Like I don't. <laughs> There's the That's jump. One of the ways that, <laughs> of experiencing the world, Jeff. You know psychologists used to use the word anal retentive for a reason, you know, like you're supposed to take in the world and let it flow out of you. That's a now we're saying thing. anal retentive and eating it. Like <laughs> I, it's not flowing. If you're retentive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just suggesting to be less anal retentive is to take more of the world in and let it pass through you. you know? So many Come comments on. and I'm just right. My I know. <laughs> Alan has on an oral note. fixation. All right. <laughs> That'll do it for us this week. Uh, if you enjoy Renacast and would like to join the work we are doing, please consider donating to our PayPal link at irenacast.com slash PayPal. Uh, we're committed to keeping the show for free for listeners, but there are costs involved and your financial support helps. That's irenacast.com slash PayPal. For more information on other ways you can partner with the show, you can go to irenacast.com slash support. 
You can also show support to the show by simply making sure you're subscribed and never missing an episode. And if the platform allows it, leave a rating and or review. We would really appreciate it. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. So for this week, I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. And this is Rajiv. Thanks for joining the conversation. 